0: Acts chapter sixteen, we'll be reading verses eleven through thirty-four. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a district voyage, a direct voyage, to samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul, to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And we were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of deviation and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. The following. But when her owners saw that their hopes of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disrupting, di- disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely." Having received his orders, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushing and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took, and he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God.
1: Good well, Good morning. I don't know if you noticed there's this bright warm thing outside I haven't seen it for weeks it feels like feels pretty good it's good to be together again today I did want to mention just quickly my wife is improving thank you so much for your prayers and your support all around it's slow but it's happening so we're thankful Well, if you've been around the last month or so, see if I can uh, work my PowerPoint thing. It's Dwayne's fault. <laughs> no, we're good. Dwayne's du- the man. We've been, we've been spending some time in, uh, in Matthew chapter 2, and we talked about the wise men. We, we learned a little bit about them, I hope, I think. There's more to learn, I'm sure. Um, And we spent some time on worship Um, and just as a quick recap that's why we gather today isn't it because of Christ because of God to worship him together we see God as central in worship we recognize his worth and we respond with our lives those were the three things we worked on if you remember that I want to I should have given you warning but I want to look at the book of Philippians next together, and that will take us a little while. I don't know how long. We will find out, but I'm getting excited about Philippians, and you haven't had a chance to get excited yet, but I hope that that will be um, something we can, we can do over the next weeks and maybe months. Um, if we want to, it could be years, but I don't plan on that, so um, I do... Encourage you though, I don't know what your personal Bible study looks like now. I don't want you to shift away from that, but if you get a chance or take the chance to look at Philippians, read through it. If you can, read through the whole book in one setting. That's probably not that hard for most of you. It seems like it's it's long, it's only four chapters, it's pretty easy. Just read through the whole book in one setting, two or three times if you can. That'll give you a better feel for where we're going. And you can study and think of, of, about Philippians, about the themes and things there. We're going, today, we will hopefully get a start on those things. We're going to look at some background. We're going to look at some of the themes of the book and authorship and timing, those kinds of things. So, let's ask God to be with us as we do this, if you would. Pray with me. God, we're thankful, as John said, that we, we can meet together in freedom we can share with one another we can speak things that are true regardless of whether the world around us believes it or not let us learn and hang on to those things and encourage one another in this process i thank you for philippians a special book that is part of our our canon of scripture you've given us you've preserved for us so well Thank you for the, 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 the words here that we will look at and prepare our hearts in, in the weeks to come to learn of you. And as we meet today and, and discuss these background issues and, and whatnot, God, please use these things to build a base for what the book has to say to us and just to change our lives today in some way or another. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So that map looks like you can see it better than the last map I put up there a while ago. Um, Philippians was written to the people of Philippi. And we're going to get into who wrote it, Paul, of course, and, and, and some of those things. But just as a, quickly, of course, it's named Philippians because of those people in that city of Philippi. Now, if you'll... See if my green laser will work. Down over here is Jerusalem. So here's the land of Israel. Right in here, Mediterranean Sea out here. Um, now, this is the beginning, of course, of Christianity. Paul then began to venture out. We have three or four missionary journeys. We call them missionary journeys that he took, bringing the gospel to the known world. Way up here is Rome. Rome, of course, the ruling power during these days. Um, Here is Philippi, up here on the edge. This is the Aegean Sea, of course, connected to the the Great Sea of of Mediterranean here. So Paul would have taken a journey um, through here this way and then across right here that I, I think Simothrace is what it's called in your scripture that Scott read. That's this island right here. They would have stopped there and then continued up to Philippi and Philippi is in Europe, actually, and um, in present-day Greece. Has anybody been to Greece? Uh, We get get out here, don't we? And that means nobody's been to Philippi. Um, I'd like to go someday, but I haven't been there either. So um, it is still in present-day Greece. Greece would be, if I'm not mistaken, kind of this area here. So it's in northeastern Greece. Um, And in relation of course to Israel we see it as northwest of of Israel the land of Israel the city has been called the gate from Europe to Asia because of where it sits um, in relation to the continents there the reason it was called Philippi was because of King Philip of Macedon this would have been Alexander the Great's father Um, he gave this city this name after himself of course Um, after he rescued them from being invaded by others. This was about 356 B.C. It's been a while ago. So keep in mind that it was soon after this that Alexander the Great brought the Greek culture to much of the known world, and hence the language, which the language stuck around even after the Romans came in as the leading power. Um, And the Romans... Well, before we get there, King Philip built this city up and actually took advantage of the wealth of the city. They had ore mines, gold, silver, other things that he used to increase his wealth greatly, but he also was, he did great things for the city um, as well. By the time of Paul, it's likely these ore mines were depleted thanks to Philip, he, he used them well. Um, and then we move on through time and about 146 B.C., we see uh, Philippi become a Roman colony. So the Romans have moved into power by that time. Around 42 BC, Octavian, um, and if you remember, I think I threw his name out there during the time of the wise men, he was the known ruler. We know him as Augustus Caesar. He took that title after he defeated some, some foes here at Philippi. And he became the conquering roman ruler at that point Um, the city partly based upon that became the city of philippi was established as a place for roman military veterans and became a roman colony if you if you were following scott there paul or not paul it'd be luke in acts says it's a roman colony or and a leading city of the district of macedonia so the district of macedonia would have been a larger area that was a Roman state or something like that. As a Roman colony, the people of this city would have been exempt from many taxes. They enjoyed the rights and privileges of Roman citizens. Um, Rome built a major road through the city that was called the Via Ignatia. This connected the, the Adriatic Sea with the Aegean Sea and boosted the city's connections and wealth. Um, because of that road and philippi really stood as a gate city somewhere that rome could guard and even close down the road if they wanted to the city of philippi was modeled after rome which i guess makes sense if you're roman citizens and you're your uh, military vets so they they wanted to be in a roman place so there even today but you if you were a part of that city at that time it would have been it would have looked a lot like the city of rome itself You would have seen Roman arches, bathhouses, temples, and and so much more like that. The religious life of Philippi at the time of Paul was largely the worship of the emperor himself. He was deified. There was also many other false gods, something like you see in Ephesus or something like this. Artemis, if you remember her, um, she was prominent as a goddess in this place, and there's, there's a lot of um, excavation sites that show devotion to Artemis, particularly women's devotion to Artemis, which is interesting because we're going to see the first converts to Christianity being women in this place. Now, past the time of Paul, just quickly, we're coming back to Paul, of course, but past the time into the first centuries philippi was an important place in early christianity by the fifth and sixth centuries it really prospered as a place associated with the memories of of the apostle paul and around 619 a.d or so the city had become pretty much abandoned because of a great earthquake and even invasions and other things so um it, it was it wasn't much past the sixth or seventh century but in the last century the 20th century a lot of excavations have taken place and many of the ruins of ancient philippi are visible today so maybe some of you will go to greece and visit philippi yet um, if you do you'll see things like roman baths basilicas on the sides of the streets temple remains a Roman forum, a 4th century theater, which would have been something like this, not this exact one, but something very similar. Remnants of several Christian churches are visible, an Acropolis, remnants of the Agora or the Marketplace, the traditional site of the jail that could not hold Paul and Silas, and many other things like this are visible today. So that's some historical background on the city of Philippi, the, the city that Paul wrote to. Of course, Paul, I didn't mention it, but Paul would have been right in there during that Roman period. And we're going to look at some dates here pretty soon. If you'll grab your Bible again, though, if you don't have it on your lap or something, look at Acts chapter 16 again. I want to, the reason I want to focus on that, the scripture that was read, is because this would have been the second missionary journey of Paul around 50 AD or so. Um, this was the first outreach to Europe, the very first time that the gospel goes to Europe on this, in this, the journey of Paul. So Acts 16, um, you can walk through that with me. We're, we're just going to fly through it a little bit quickly. You see in verse 9, <clears throat> Paul sees a vision of a man from Macedonia Calling for help, it says, "Come help," and that's when they make the decision to preach the gospel in Europe for the first time. And you can see the journey continuing then in the next couple of verses, eleven through twelve. Troas to the sea. Here's a here's a map, by the way. As we look at that, you can peek up here at this map. Um, Troas across the sea, right there is Samothrace and then to Neapolis right here on the, on the shore, and then from there to Philippi. Philippi is the Roman colony, the leading city of the district of Macedonia, as, your, as the word says, and this was their first stop. It says they stayed in that city for several days. I don't know what several days means, if it was two or three, it probably was more than that. Now, Paul's customary starting place for sharing the gospel was the, on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. But instead, we see Paul going down to the river on the Sabbath to find a place of prayer. That's verse 13. This probably means there was not enough Jewish presence in the town to form a proper synagogue. A Jewish synagogue could only be formed with a minimum of 10 married men. There's other indicators in the book, too, that there was not much Jewish presence continuum in the city, contingent in the city. So Paul and Silas and whoever else, they were there for the Gentiles. And they took this opportunity then with the women gathered by the river. This is known as the Ganja River, west of town. They began to share the gospel. Here we see the heart of Lydia open to the gospel. The first Christian in Philippi and perhaps in Europe. Verse 15, now she immediately offered Paul and his companions a place to stay at her house, and we see her household come to the Lord as well. Now, as you move on through in verse 16, Paul says, on our way to prayer, did they continue to meet by the river for prayer then? Was that, that's the established place for sharing of the gospel? It seems maybe that could have been, but we see Paul sending an evil spirit out of a girl uh, was this the second convert? We don't know. It doesn't say, but perhaps. Here, perhaps this girl came to the gospel after the Spirit left her. And this was on their way to prayer. This was also the start of their problems in Philippi. The, Paul and Silas were seized, at least the two of them, and <clears throat> based upon a charge of not promoting Roman customs, they were beaten with rods, flogged and thrown into jail with their feet in the stocks. These guys are looking pretty lively here. I don't know if they were that happy, but um, you know the story though. They ended up singing hymns in the middle of the night and God broke them out of that jail, didn't he? Not only did he break the, the jail apart, the doors came off their hinges, but somehow the stocks came off their feet. Um, and through this, the jailer and his household come to Christ and were baptized and ministered to... Um, they were baptized. They ministered to Paul and Silas, tending to their wounds. That's verse 31 and to 33 there at the end of that section. And then in the last part of the last section of that chapter, it turns out the town was somewhat humiliated because of their treatment of these, these two. Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They didn't know that. They took Roman citizenship very seriously. In fact, very, they were very pr- proud of their Roman citizenship in the city there. And they, they kind of covered it up. They, they, they wanted them to, to leave the city. Um, they shouldn't have been that severely treated without a proper trial. However, we don't see Paul and Silas as being bitter or upset about their aching bodies. But on their way out of the city, they encourage this brand new church in Lydia's home. Probably at this point, Luke stayed here. Luke likely was with them. He stayed in Philippi, undoubtedly helping this fledgling church get started and strengthened. Perhaps Luke was even from Philippi. It's hard to say. So that's the account of the beginning of the church in Philippi. Ten years or so later now, Ten years or so later, after a couple more visits from Paul and his companions through the years, he writes this letter called Philippians to the church at Philippi, probably early 60s AD, 62 or something like that, somewhere in there. It's not exactly known. We do know that he was in prison. It's, it, that, that becomes clear. We'll, we'll look at that more in the weeks ahead. Probably this imprisonment was in Rome. Um, You you remember Rome's quite a ways away up there. There's a lot of speculation that perhaps it wasn't Rome for various reasons. There Ephesus and Caesarea are other proposals as to places he was imprisoned while writing this letter. It's really impossible to know for sure. The date would change slightly depending on the place of imprisonment. But in any case, he was in prison, and I'm going to say it it could have been Rome. That would be my guess, but... We don't know for sure, and Paul then writes this letter to Philippians. Now, as to the author, I've said Paul, and that's because there's really no quibble over who the author of the letter was. Some some New Testament or Old Testament books, too. There's exchange back and forth of, well, it wasn't him or it wasn't that or that, but This one is pretty clearly Paul the Apostle, as stated in verse one of chapter one. And Philippians is also, we we talked about this some in the past as we talked about the Bible and how books are accepted into the canon as scripture. Um, Philippians is is easily accepted as scripture into the canon. It was, uh, in the second century, very accepted across the board as scripture and not something that people spend much time trying to determine how long it took to become accepted as scriptural, canonical. This was early on. Now, when a book is written, a New Testament letter or epistle, perhaps you know it by that name, there's often an occasion to write, right? There's a reason or a situation to write this book. Sometimes it has to do with correction that's needed, or maybe it's to argue a point of doctrine due to heresy that's creeping in the the church. Philippians doesn't seem to be this so much, but it is written out of love for this church and out of expression of joy for their Christian lives. Now, it does express some very important theological truths that the Philippian church needed to be either reminded of or they needed to learn. But it assumes their commitment and their desire for Christ. The author, Paul, he encourages and exhorts them in various points of Christian doctrine and living as we are going to see. But as to the occasion for the writing, perhaps we could see two broad occasions or or reasons for writing um, the the book of Philippians the first one is a thank you the Philippians as we will see had helped Paul financially more than once this was brought by Epaphroditus we're gonna see him later in the book and during his imprisonment the Philippian church had been generous to him in years prior and now they're reaching out again with, with a gift. Epaphroditus returns after nearly dying of illness. But when he returns to his home church in Philippi, he brings this letter to them. So it's a thank you card for a friend, in a way. He's expre- Paul is expressing gratitude for their Christian heart and the way that they have treated him. Now the second one, broadly speaking could maybe be the promotion of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel. Paul shares that the gospel is going forth even to those imprisoning him, the guards that maybe stood right by his side, shackled to him. He also shares his struggle to want to depart and be with Christ but he concludes that he will remain continuing with them the Philippians in joy for the progress of their faith the advancement of the gospel and discipleship in their lives and others so within this the, the it has the clear idea of community and unity in the body of Christ in Philippi this advancement of the gospel he speaks to unity as we're going to find out some, there was some disunity. Paul wants them to work out what it means to be in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, occurs 21 times in the book. And promote what it means to have the gospel in their lives. So this is a reason for reaching out to the Philippian congregation. Now keep these motivators in mind as we go through the book and Then let's look at some of the nature of the letter. This is too simplistic for sure. It's hard to bring it down real specific because that wasn't necessarily the idea of the apostle in writing this letter, but I would like to look at the nature of the letter and some of maybe some themes or or some, some of what the general idea is with the letter of Philippians the first thing we notice is that this is a letter of friendship there's a lot of friendship language and he appeals to them even while exhorting them he appeals to them on the basis of friendship just a couple of a couple of things about or in connection with friendship it's a friendship of affection In verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, For God is my witness how I deeply miss you with the affection of Christ Jesus. A friendship of affection. It's a friendship in partnership or fellowship. And that's in the gospel, in the spirit, and in the sufferings of Christ. Fellowship or partnership in the gospel. It's a friendship in unity, unity of soul. He speaks to the value of unity with one another and ultimately the unity that comes because we're in Christ. It's a friendship in giving and receiving. He commends the church for sharing with him. Like I said, they've been generous for years and they had just given him another gift very recently. It's a friendship in sharing struggle and joy together. In, in chapter two, seventeen and 18, he says, But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Struggles and joys. A friendship of struggles and joys. A friendship that, is share, that shares virtues and morals. This is speaking to the nature of friendship of this letter. A friendship that shares virtue and morals. Paul calls his audience to think about things of good morals, to act on those things then, and to recognize and rejoice in the humility of Christ for them. He even calls them to join in imitating him as he reaches for the prize of God. And on this theme of friendship one more thing is personal care. He wants to be near them, though he's absent from them. He's, he speaks to this in the book. He desires to be with them and even promises that he will come soon. It's a personal, a personal connection of friendship. Now, here's a few other themes to look out for as we look at Philippians. Unity, unity in the church. Paul emphasizes the need for unity as he writes this letter. And he specifically exhorts those promoting disunity by their actions. This is an important theme, I think, as we come to the book of Philippians. Unity in the gospel of love. This promotes the gospel as well as life in the body of Christ. How about suffering? Another theme, Paul addresses the Christians' experience of pain and discouraging, discouraging sufferings in this life. He talks of Christ's suffering, of his, Paul's suffering, and the inevitability of suffering in the Christian life. It's a theme that he addresses. He talks about his opponents, the issues involved with those who are against the gospel of Christ. There's those preaching out of rivalry to him. There's Roman opponents, and there's Judaizers, or, or Judaizers being the Jews that insist on practices from the law as part of Christianity. And there's also Gentile Christians that are living as enemies of the cross. Cross. Interesting things here as under opponents that I think we will look more at. One more theme. Paul expresses his joyful faith in Christ. Christ, his resurrected Savior and Lord, even while he's in chains. There does seem to be a dominant theme of joy in the letter. Joy in Christ, both personally and in fellowship. Joy in fellowship with the church at Philippi, though Paul sits in chains. By the way, Paul's imprisonment probably wasn't solitary confinement in a deep, dark dungeon at this point. He was more on house arrest with constant guard and not necessarily a fun thing, but not quite the same as you might think of as that Philippian experience. But it is interesting that this theme of joy rides as he speaks from nowhere else but prison. I don't know how your, what your theme would be or my theme would be if I were sitting in an, imprisoned at the time. So we've looked at some of the themes here now, maybe some of the content. I want to um, take a look at an outline of sorts. Now, <clears throat> outlines of Scripture, I, I should say, of, of biblical books are never quite as neat as I'd like them to be. Um, they're not... It's, it's not likely that Paul sat down and created a bullet point outline, you know, and then wrote his letter from that. Um, when, when maybe some of you have written papers, and in our way of writing papers, you want it to be neat and to flow, and you even might include an outline at the beginning of your paper, but that's not exactly how Paul wrote, which is fine. We just need to recognize that. Um, and in fact, probably this epistle, this letter, was written in such a way to be publicly read as the primary means of transportation or of communicating that letter. So we need to ponder this as a speech, as a speech of Paul's that would have been read perhaps by Epaphroditus or Timothy or Luke if he was there or what, whoever it was, would have been at the time leading that church. How would this letter have sounded in one sitting being publicly read? What themes and what messages might arise in that situation? Think about that as you read the letter and as we look at it. But here's a suggested outline that I would like to look at together. This outline is not my own, by the way. I stole it from Moses Silva. I think he'll be okay with that as long as I mention his name. It does help me if some outlining helps me as long as we um, take that information that it wasn't designed to be a Western outlined paper but maybe it helps you to write some of the some of the things down in the margin of your Bible there whatever you whatever will help you and it hopefully gives us some familiarity with the book as we go forward so 1 1 through 11 we could call the opening as I do this please look at your scripture and I'm just going to throw up very minimal things here, but look at your Bible if you have it in your lap, and then you can begin to visualize some of these segments. So verses 1 and 2, you might call the salutation. And this is under this, this heading of opening. Verses 3 through 8 then, um, you could say is thanksgiving. This is Paul thanking God for the believers and the partnership that he shares with them. And then the last, section 9, 10, and 11, is a prayer, a heartfelt prayer that Paul offers for these Philippian believers. That would be the opening, 1, 1 through 11, and then that brings us to 1, 12 through 26. We could call that Paul's missions report. In, in verses 12 then through 17, we see Paul giving a report on himself, on his circumstances. He calls this the unfettered progress of the gospel, even though he is fettered. He talks about his blessings and his trials at that time. And then verse 18 through 26, under this missions report, is Paul's attitude. We see their joy in salvation and that death for him is not a threat. And then a word of reassurance at the end of that. So keep following along we 're going to call this one the call to sanctification that starts on in chapter one verse twenty seven and goes through chapter two verses 30, verse thirty so in twenty seven one twenty seven through two four we could call this Christian citizenship. Remember that these in Philippi were really concerned, very proud of their Roman citizenship, even to the point that maybe Paul emphasizes this Christian citizenship as compared to the Roman citizenship. This Christian citizenship is higher, more important than your Roman citizenship, believe it or not. Christian humility, we see that in verse 5 through 11, a unique and remarkable piece of Christ's humility and exaltation. I'm both excited and scared to go through that. There's been millions of pages written on those verses 2 12 through 18 moving on through this section of call to sanctification christian obedience we could call this 2 12 through 18 action and perspective as a believer in christ and then the last section of this would be a little bit more of paul's missions report See, I told you it wasn't all neat. He comes back around to the missions report in 19 through 30. Um, he started that up in, in um, chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> Paul adds to the missions report, specifically mentioning in this part, Timothy and Epaphroditus. The next major section we could call doctrinal polemics or That word polemics could be um, understood as a strong argument for, in this case, doctrine. 3-1 through 4-1. 3-1 through 4-1. In chapter 3, 1 through 6, Paul discusses the Judaizers as a context for good theology. Now, the Judaizers are those Jews who want to influence Christians... Gentiles or Jews to add to their salvation to Christ Jewish ritual and Paul fights against that in the hard way we see then moving moving through three or moving through chapter three seven through eleven that section we could call the basis or essence of theology according to Paul according to Paul what is his basis what is the essence of his theology and we find that in 3, 7 through 11. What is the foundation of our salvation in Christ? Practical theology follows this um, in 3, 12 through 4, 1. Lots of wealth here if we think practically concerning our purpose, our goals and focus for the Christian life. And that brings us to the last section of the book, Final concerns—that's what you call it when you uh, when it's a jumble of all kinds of stuff. You just call it final concerns, and uh, that's going to be in four, two through twenty-three. In verse two through nine are exhortations, a call for unity, and some of it's specific to their situation there in Philippi, and other points for practical Christianity. And then 10 through 20, that last, almost last piece, we see the word of thanks. We see the thank you card come out. He gives specific thanks to the Philippians for their continued help, as well as a bit of a theology of giving. And then very last is a closing in the last couple of verses, 21 through 23. Hopefully that helps get a little idea of a general overview, a general structure of what the book might look like for us. Well, we've talked a little bit about Philippi as a city. The place, the church that Paul wrote to. Paul established that church. We saw that in Acts 16 around 50 AD. It was 10 or so years later that he wrote a letter to them encouraging them thanking them, exhorting them. And so that that was a 10-year-old church or so. We saw a little bit of uh, some structure, some themes, some things there that will help us hopefully grasp onto um, what we will look at in the future weeks. I always like to have, when we come to a letter, especially this small, it's doable, have an idea of where we're going instead of getting buried too much into one verse though we need to do that this letter was meant to be read it was meant to be seen as a whole even in one sitting so next week Scott can read the whole thing to us well no hopefully you can do that at home and and begin to get a feel for that and then we can discuss it together for the next segment of time having done that we haven't camped on one verse we haven't focused on a specific point or or anything today What are some things that we can learn as we think about this letter written to Philippians? Something maybe practical for us. I was thinking broadly about it. The letter here, the epistle, is written to friends, right? It's a letter of friendship. It's written to encourage. It's written to exhort, to challenge, to disciple, to help those believers, It's a precious document to celebrate celebrate Christ and the unity that Paul shared with the Philippians in Christ. It's a unity that we share in Christ as well. This letter was to bring support, to give confidence in their faith, to uplift and to cheer them, to inspire them, to keep focus and to live out this faith in Christ. A faith that is real and beyond the Romans has eternal ramifications rejoice in the Lord my brothers and sisters well what about us those things I think remain true for us I want us just to think about two related points of reaching out to one another Paul reached out to these believers that even though he wanted to be with Christ he said I would I see the value of being here with you because you're my people. You're my body. Two related points about us reaching out to one another. The first one I'm just calling out, or I'm calling <clears throat> helping or challenging or even discipling. There are times that we need to speak or reach out in some way to give direction to someone that we love. This is done in the unity of Christ, in love for each other. In right unity, and right body, we all need others to help give guidance, to give wisdom, and to bring challenge even at times. And sometimes you're the one to offer that. In the right spirit, with love and discernment, now, this is not always easy, depending on the situation, but it may, have, it may save someone from heartache or simplicity in Christian living. Someone that is part of your body, your friend. We need others to speak into our lives with truth and with love. And in the same spirit, we need to listen to the loving guidance of others. Reaching out to one another Well, the second piece is more direct as far as encouraging one another, coming alongside one another. This is reaching out in support, sharing life, trials, joys, sorrows, any other piece of life, as if it's your own. Sharing life with those around us as if it's your own feeling for others and with others i think we've all felt this at times which is such a blessing and this is what christian unity is about a wonderful confidence and security and love for one another by the way my family has felt this in the last month or so and many of you have prayed for us many of you have reached out to us and brought food and other things and I was just thinking <clears throat> as I was preparing I feel joy and confidence in this body because of your love for us and I I know that would be the same for each family here I, I hope it would be I know it would be <clears throat> thank you for that by the way <clears throat> reaching out to one another Bringing that joy and that confidence in life, even though it may be hard. Trials, sufferings are part of life. So, these two points challenging one another and encouraging one another how does that look? Well, maybe that takes the form of a letter written in four chapters. Probably not, but it could. Or a Barnabas card. You have those in front of you in your pew. Or a phone call or a text. By the way, that's my preferred Barnabas card is a text. (laughs) Or better yet, how about a personal talk and a hug? Some of you are really good at that. And as I mentioned, reaching out should be practical at times, maybe more often than not. Serving in various ways, bringing food, helping with financial or other gifts. And like I said, my family has felt that. Not just the cards, though, the cards, the texts, the calls are wonderful, but also the practical outreach. I just encourage you not to be afraid. You may only have one chance with this person or these people in this specific situation to change their life, to bring confidence in their life in Christian unity. And this is done with nothing but love and the best in mind for those, those people in our body. So reach out then to one another. I look forward to what we see in Philippians going forward. I hope this little bit of background here has helped us and will push us forward then into the book in the weeks to come. If you guys want to come up and lead us in a final song, let's just pray together as they do that father thank you thank you for the information we do have about paul about even historical philippi about the love that was shared not only in the church at philippi but between others paul and timothy these other christians though they weren't present all the time there was real unity and real love because of you because of what you've done, what you are doing, and how you call us into yourself. In Christ, we find unity, we find security. I just do want to ask for each of us, as we see opportunity, that we would be quick to act, quick to call, quick to text, quick to pass on a practical help. I'm just very grateful for these people this home, this body who has and does show that. Give us continued challenge and encouragement to reach out to one another, even as Paul reached out to the Philippians and as the Philippians reached out to Paul. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.